Hello, welcome to the Canola Watch podcast. I'm Jay Wetter. The Canola Council of Canada hosted Canola Discovery Forum in Canmore at the end of October. And for this podcast, we will discuss highlights from that event. With me are Wayne Truman, Sass Canola, uh, Daryl Tuck with Alberta Canola Producers Commission, and Clint Yerke from the Canola Council of Canada. So we're going to ask three questions and we'll just go around and, and uh, it'll evolve into whatever sort of conversation it becomes. But the first question is, and Daryl, we'll start with you, but after the two days, what's top of mind for you in terms of perhaps something that you would apply on your own farm or something that Alberta Canola Producers Commission should be looking into? Well, for myself, one of the things that uh, was a bit of a uh, eye-opener, I guess, was looking at fertilizer use and, and recommendations, um, you know, recognizing that we're, pus- you know, pushing our canola yields higher and higher, that uh, we need to reconsider where we're at on fertility and, and that type of thing, uh, placement of fertilizer as well, and making sure that we aren't over-applying fertilizer in a seed row or, or even in a sideband, which I didn't think was... Uh, an issue, uh, you know, Ross McKenzie pointed out that even a sideband could have too much nitrogen in it for adequate use, which kind of shocked me. Was it more about the principles of 4R, uh, or was it the variable rate that interested you? No, it would be more the 4R, you know, the right place, the right time, you know, all, you know, that type of thing. So it was just a matter, though, of you know, thinking, you know, one thing, one part of it is, is I understand that if we're going to push yields that more fertilizer is necessary to, to sustain that, but at the same time to, uh, to relearn, I guess, that just side banding isn't good enough. Like, you know, it's been talked about for a while, for example, too much seed placed fertilizer can be damaging to emergence and germination, etc. But, uh, you know, I wasn't aware that too high a rate, even in a sideband, could limit uptake to the to the roots, causing too you know being too toxic of a rooting zone to access the nutrients. Wayne, the uh, if we're going to get to 52 bush- bushel an acre by 2025, I guess there's quite a few different areas that we need to focus on, and I guess what what was almost annoying to think that if I'm throwing out an extra five bushels out the back of the uh, back end of the combine, or or swathing too soon, waiting, not getting enough seed color change. That those are such simple things, and that's probably something. If it's happening to me, then it's probably happened to a lot of growers. And I think we need to to get that message out there that we need to fine tune. And uh, if we're going to, because that that's pure profit. We all the uh, all the hard work that went into growing the crop and then just not taking enough time. And that's where the, the big data picture will, will come into play and, and maybe perhaps make it a little easier to quantify and identify areas that, uh, that we're failing or not doing as good a job as we should be. Right. That point about just avoiding or reducing the amount of canola that's swathed in that zero to 40 seed color change range yeah. percent, uh, that exactly. alone could could do wonders for our yeah. yield and at very limited cost. Of course, there's the logistics of harvest that always come into that. But um, well, the the one grower said from 50, I think from 50 seed color change to 80, he gained five bushel acre. 
four to five bushel acre and it was just letting it stand for another four or five days so so those those are the kind of things that were the data will will really open a lot of growers eyes and it opened my eyes for sure to need to pay more attention to those details right at the very end right Clint sure um, yeah, for for me, it, it was I, I'm a little bit of a data junkie, and so I I, I enjoyed the discussions around uh, the different types of trials and 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 this whole big data revolution or or evolution, whatever we want to call it, that's that's happening out there. Like we we spend a lot of money and time and and effort in in. And creating new data and that in order to to move the cannoli industry ahead and now we're, we're kind of at a cusp here where the, the this big data is coming along and it's potentially going to change a lot of the ways that, that we look at um, what types of data is meaningful are, are we going to solely have to as we should be right now relying upon high quality data that's generated by researchers that's peer-reviewed and 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 has been sti statistically analyzed, or are, are we going to be able to just put a single strip into a field and just uh, use yield monitors and uh, and use some of the the new big data tools that are that are coming along for that? It's it's going to be really interesting to see how that that all shakes out. Can we actually use that information in itself uh, from a single field versus? Uh, using the, the peer-reviewed uh, uh, type of approach. It's, it's going to be uh, uh, pretty interesting, and I suspect that the, the solution will be that, that we'll need both, uh, that we'll still have to continue investing in high-quality research, but uh, supplementing it with our own on-farm per performance is going to be pretty cool to see how that shakes out. Do you think, and my next question is, what are the biggest challenges facing canola growers and the canola industry? Do you think taking all of this data and, and putting it some use is one of the biggest challenges, or is that? Is do you have another idea for yeah, what's no, the biggest challenge? Yeah, no, for sure. Challenge? You you hit it right on the head. Um, I think that we've already got a lot of the technology in place to collect the data, but to store it and process it, and understand like how to really analyze it and, and know what is meaningful. Uh, just because you're seeing a difference between one strip in a field and the rest of the field, is that strip is that difference real? Or is it just an artifact of chance, or is it just it could be anything, right? And so, um, how do you actually analyze it? And and so we're, we're going to it's going to take some expertise that will need to be developed, uh, not only in the professional spheres, but uh, educating growers as to just even knowing what is good quality data and what is poor quality, and that's that takes uh, quite a bit of effort to bring that education to bear. Yeah. Wayne, what do you think is the greatest challenge facing canola growers? Canola has been the uh, the go-to crop for profitability. And are we going to go to the bank a little bit too often on it? Uh, then it brings up the disease issues and those kind of threats. And uh, we probably need to expand our expand our rotations a little bit so that we're not quite so reliant. Uh, fantastic crop and we sure like growing it but do you think that's the factor is that canola grows so well on the prairies most of the time that and, and is and profitable I mean we've yeah. talked today about the market opportunities for canola and it's almost like the world can take right. I guess not all that we can grow but you know maybe it can 
whereas other crops maybe don't offer that same sort of clear opportunity to market a crop and, and get reasonable results in the field? Absolutely. It's the canola crop is the one, if you we were talking about at our table, if, if you look at land that's going to come up for sale for rent and you look back, what was the last year crop or what was the crop that was last seeded? It was canola every time. The reason being is that producers know that they're going to take the last crop, most profitable crop out before they let and before they release yeah. the land. So that says it all right there. Yeah. Daryl, how about you? What's the greatest challenge? Well, I guess my perspective is maybe slightly different being being involved and in seeing what's happening in the in the uh in Alberta with club root gaining acres and stuff every every year we do a survey. The concern will be you know the longevity of canola as a viable crop we're relying quite heavily on you know plant breeders and research to to find the next solution to the disease at, at hand and you know the first step of uh, uh, club root resistance in our canola is already looking like we're we're seeing breaking down in in selected areas um, so we need to be quite legitimately concerned about that and you know as Wayne talked about you know we can't overuse that tool and so long term I think that's going to be quite critical that we find some some solution to that problem because it in Alberta the problem's there it's not going to go away so we have to learn how to deal with it manage it and and continue to grow canola to support the entire industry we're going to move on to now our thoughts or your thoughts on the biggest opportunities in front of canola. And so, I mean, your comment about club root, uh, <laughs> it's hard to transition from that into, into opportunities. But what, what do you see as, as key opportunities? Well, canola has, sh has shown us over the years of it being in production that it's a very resilient uh, and adaptable crop and I think that we're going to continue to see you know plant breeding and adaptation to improve its value uh, having more attractive meal components for example helps to strengthen the overall pricing because if you've got a higher price available for the meal component you're not quite so reliant on the oil component um, being able to continue to meet and uh, meet needs in terms of dietary and health issues, but also to advance what canola has to offer, whether it's you know a slight improvement to the oil profile or, like I mentioned already, the m the meal aspect of it. There's a, a lot of places where where it can continue to go and uh, bring us maximum value. Right, and and. Lisa Campbell from the Canola Council mentioned today that it's not just the developed world, but a lot of these developing countries are, are encountering quite large percentages of their population with heart disease or diabetes, all things that could be helped with more canola in their diet. Wayne, what about you? Opportunities? The, uh, the genetics and the, uh, the scientists and the science that it comes that it's been so advanced, uh, the genomic research and, and all the stuff where you can you can put all these specific genes in there that are going to make all the health benefits that we need. It's, 
you just you just said it's a it's such a healthy oil that we got such a good news story that we need to uh, expand and, and spread that out so we need to get the awareness out there because it's it's a great oil and we need to uh, right through to the uh, finished product I guess and and not forgetting the meal uh, the meals a, a golden opportunity I think probably to expand the the aquaculture and and everything everybody needs what's you know more protein in their diet and and I think we're just starting to uncap how everybody thinks that soybean meal is the ruler of of the world but I think the canola meal can do a real good job and and the bonus is you got that real healthy oil yeah and it's a bit about us just tooting our own horn in a way in that showing people the the value of canola meal in a diet maybe in a blend with soybean meal or as a replacement for and it, when you're talking about the genetic advancement and one of the things that came out today was how um, there's these new tools coming along that would, would seem to suggest that it, I wouldn't say easier because it's pretty complex and way over my head technically but that we may start finding some of these solutions that were too difficult to discover Absolutely. That, before. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. yeah. And it must be a pretty good time to be a genetics researcher these days. Well, <laughs> we're <laughs> fortunate we have such great science that's, that's advanced technology so far. Yeah, that's right. Glenn? I think that our opportunities are that um, that that we are such a strong science-based uh, industry that, that all of our messaging, all of our ideas and understanding of, of agronomic practices and, and, and genetics and even f end products all seem to be have, have very strong roots with, within the uh, science industry. And I, I think that, that puts us kind of in a uh, bit of a, a unique position in that we, we are a large enough industry now that we've got quite a bit of momentum already behind us, and yet we're, we're still nimble enough to change. And and we're, we're certainly going to see uh, new challenges come, like Daryl mentioned, that, that club root is is, uh, is a big uh, issue, certainly in Alberta and possibly across the, the prairies. But I, I'm confident that, that we're, we're going to be able to come up with uh, new solutions in order to, uh, to continue with this uh, crop uh, coming along. Yeah, like the, the last couple of days, just seeing all of the, the new cutting ed res research that, that we have access to, it's uh, pretty pretty amazing. And so I, I think that we're in a, a good position that, that we will be able to adapt and we'll be able to, to continue this industry moving forward. I think that the challenge, though, is it's one that everybody faces, is how do we take that scientific information and translate it into a, a meaningful message that that growers and everybody else in the industry can grasp onto and actually make an appropriate change. That's that's the tricky bit that uh, I think that we're always trying to re refine and improve. That's why we're having a podcast, hoping that our millions of listeners are going to take this and <laughs> advance the canola industry. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Good. The uh, the consumers, I think that that's another area that we need to do a little bit of education first, I guess, with our youth in in our uh, in our schools. And the consumers, one, the one item we, that came up today was the, the Richardson. Uh, one company has cold pressed oil, and selling it for double what refined oil is. And it seems hard to understand why, why he would pay double the money for an unrefined product. So, 
obviously there's a, a gap there between uh, between us and the consumers that hopefully we'll get some of these answers will get answered. I'm a, I'm an ad Wayne. I'm an advocate for this this cold pressed option on the market. Obviously, it's not going to replace canola oil in, in a big way. Probably not even a percent one percent of sales, but if you, I would recommend you try it just because it, it's, it's got a, a very rich taste, almost like a cabbagey taste, which goes back to the, the roots of, of canola. But it would have a completely different use in the kitchen, and that you would fry and bake and do most uses with regular refined canola oil. But you could add this cold pressed wine into salad dressing, say, and you would add a whole new complexity to the flavor profile. So I do think there's a place for it. And uh, but but by all means, it's not going to replace regular canola oil. In fact, it more like it complements it as another option on the so show. Rather than just after refined, just being a neutral, a neutral oil to enhance the flavor. This is going to give a little more flavor to the. Uh, to yeah, the I think it actually it it adds a level. Uh, I think I'm just me here. Adds a level of sophistication to the offer on the store shelves that canola brings that it hasn't brought before. So in, in a way, it gets in there with olive oil and some of these specialty oils that we've never been in before. So it's a it's a niche sector, but I think it's good that we're there. Great, great conversation. Thank you, Clint, Wayne, and Daryl. For more on Canola Discovery Forum, I will have an article in the January Canola Digest magazine. If the event sounds like something you'd like to attend, look out for registration information next September and October. This has been a Canola Watch podcast. I'm Jake Wetter. Thank you for listening.